Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have a new format for you, the Delta EE debate. The theme of today's debate the winners and losers from the electrification of transport. So we'll be debating whether how three big established industries are coming together. The electricity industry, specifically electricity retailers. Second, the automotive industry, specifically the, the car manufacturers or OEMs. And thirdly, the oil majors who we're all used to buying petrol and diesel from their forecourts. So as transport becomes electrified, these three industries are coming together. And the question we're going to explore is whether they nicely come together like three jigsaw uh, pieces of jigsaw puzzle slotting together, or is it more like three circles to coming together with uh, overlapping Venn diagrams? And are we gonna see one industry take chunks out of another industry? To explore this, I'm welcomed by three of my Delta EE colleagues who are going to put forward their views. And we'll see at the end whether this is a collision with winners and losers or a nice coming together of three complementary industries. My first guest is Alexander Lewis-Jones. Hello, Alex. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Um, second, Kate Armitage. Hello, Kate. Hi, John. And third, Abhishek Sampat. Hello, Abhishek. Hi, John. Hi, Alex. Hi, Kate. So uh, I'll start with Alex and we'll just frame this collision because it's quite a hefty collision and we might need to pick off a, uh, a distinct part of it rather than the whole area. And then Kate will talk from an electricity retailer's perspective and Abhishek from a car manufacturer or OEM perspective. Alex, you've got big oil. Uh, I don't know whether you're happy or sad about that. But, Fantastic. Um, <laughs> um, so, Alex, to frame this collision, electrification of transport is a huge topic. We've got everything from buses to fleets to households to home charging to workplace to public charging. How should we tackle it? Look at the whole thing or pick off a distinct part? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, not a day goes past without seeing another type of new electric plane or electric ferry so there's lots of different angles i think today we'd like to focus on evs in terms of the the b2c car driver so like all of us who drive cars uh, that should be our focus today and when we talk about that value chain in this space i'd like to talk around mobility and specifically how we get around in these electric vehicles and to do that well we need to have the, the cars themselves and we mm -hmm. need to have the the energy to uh to drive those cars and the the bit in between is the is the charging uh sector and i think that's where the the most interesting debate is going to be held and if we're talking about households alex uh you and me driving our cars around, then presumably we need to talk about charging at home and also charging, uh, public charging when we can't charge at home. Sure. Yeah, so 
when we start analyzing the, the EV charging market, um, loads of different products and services in there, and I'm sure we'll cover lots of them off today, but it's the easiest way to define it is by location. So where's your car parked the most? Probably at home, and then also yep. at work, but also in public spaces. I think here the key key interesting collisions will be in charging at home and charging in the work uh, in sorry in the public spaces. Okay, so we'll focus the debate around B two C, around households, around you and me or uh, listeners with their own car. I'm actually uh, looking at changing my car at the moment to an electric car, so maybe I can bring in one or two of my personal experiences uh, into the discussion and household charging at home and charging uh, publicly. Um, Abhishek, let's start with you from an OEM perspective and you used to work for an OEM, so you're well qualified to, to have that um, perspective. So are OEMs gonna stick to their knitting and carry on making cars oblique with an electric drivetrain rather than an internal combustion engine? Or will we see car manufacturers seeing this as, wow, what an opportunity to do more, to take a chunk out of the electricity sector. Um, what do you think? I, I think in an ideal world, every car OEM would like to be able to branch out uh, into, I guess, services that affect their vehicles and their products, uh, because it's a revenue opportunity for them, and it's a diversification opportunity. Uh, we're seeing examples of that now with um, Ellie by Volkswagen and Tesla. Um, with Tesla Energy and Nissan as well. But I think uh, due to where some of the manufacturers are in their electrification journey, uh, some of them are still sticking to the cars and partnering for um, providing contracts for energy, for charge points, for domestic charging, for public charging, etc. cetera. Uh, and some are able to go at it in a more um, investment heavy way, uh, which, is a first mover advantage for them, but I think it depends entirely on where that OEM is in, in their electrification journey. Um, they'll definitely stick to making cars because that's what they know best, mm -hmm. but they will all at some point look at adding more features uh, to um, the offering they provide to their customers. And on that offering that they provide to their customers, Abhishek, so most of them sell through, through dealerships, um, you know, Tesla's maybe a, a little bit more direct and different. How much of a relationship do the OEMs uh, have with customers today, or how do they think about those relationships? Is it a really important part of their business? Is it something that they're actively looking to, to grow even through their internal combustion engine products? Or is it is it quite a new thing to them, given they're sort of one step away from the, the customer often? Um, the, the dealerships and the retailer groups specifically are the face of the OEM. Uh, they're not always owned by the OEM. They're trained by the OEM. They try and meet the standards that the OEM fits, you know, decides for them. Uh, but they're, in essence, they are the face. Um, so for an OEM, the best customer is a repeat customer. So mm -hmm. that customer relationship is very important to the OEM because if someone can convince you to buy a car today and you come back three years later and buy another one, uh, great. Uh, that's, a, that's a good day for everyone. Uh, 
acquiring a customer from another brand is a little bit harder uh, unless you have some special USP. So that that relationship that they have with the end customer through the dealer groups and the retailer groups uh, is very important. And it's and from our findings as well in um, as part of what we've been doing as part of the EVNE team, uh, the customer research has said that the dealership route to getting a charge point and understanding about energy requirements and you know other things to do with electrification beyond buying the car is one of the most powerful and that's where customers wanted to ask the question so there's definitely an opportunity there for oems to capture more of the value chain of having you, a customer get electrified you, you identified uh ellie and tesla as examples of uh companies that are quite um, we certainly have ambitions to grow in the energy space. If you look at a sector as a whole, are they, would you say they're outliers or are they, is that the direction everyone's moving in or are you seeing quite big splits in terms of motivations? As you mentioned, Ellie and Tesla, uh, they're definitely out there in front, but I don't think they're the outliers because every OEM group is doing something to support the electrified customers, uh, whether it's providing a partnership for you know, domestic chargers in each market they're in, or having their own branded ones, um, or giving them away for free with their own brand on it as well. That's something we're seeing from some groups. So, uh, so okay, so they're all actively supporting customers, and maybe the question is, are they facilitating that through partnerships, or are they trying yeah. to get more of that value chain and have a bigger share of that uh, that part of Absolutely. The, the value? Yeah. Um, Kate, let's have a look at. Uh, electricity retailers and like Abhishek was qualified given he worked for an OEM you've worked with electricity uh, retailer in the past so uh, to, in some ways this is a huge opportunity for electricity retailer and more electricity demand a rising tide floats all boats and so on um, but to what degree are electricity retailers thinking, okay, well, hey, happy days. We can now get more involved in the automotive sector and capture some of the value, or are they gonna sit back and just ride on the, the rising tide of more electricity sales? So um, so thinking about, I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick on the home charging uh, sector first rather than public charging because to me um, that's the that's the biggest area of opportunity for the electricity retailers um, in in the uh, Delta's own uh, consumer survey 2020 um, uh, we we saw that around uh, across Europe on average 60% of all charging takes place at home and that increases to 70% in Norway so that that's mm -hmm. where the size of the prize is and as you said, John, there are multiple revenue opportunities uh, coming from uh, EV charging. So uh, there's the opportunity to retail charging solutions, hardware and installation. Uh, obviously, there's the retailing of the kilowatts themselves. Um, there's also additional flexibility services through the control of the charge points. Uh, and something that doesn't get talked about very much is this opportunity to win new customers, or if you flip that around, an opportunity to lock in and retain existing mm -hmm. customers, um, which is always a, a really, a really kind of hot topic for utilities because because with with churn increasing, it's a, it's a challenge. But in a way, that's the existing game of electricity retail and maybe adding a bit onto that from flexibility services. 
And so I've been looking at what electric vehicle I want to buy. I'm seen in the UK. I could buy them from two electricity retailers who I can lease an electric vehicle from. Uh, yep. There may be more. So do you, I think that's really interesting because as a customer, I might buy my car from an electricity company. Um, so can they get that part of the value chain as well, do you think? Or is that too big a stretch for most people? And I'm not decided whether I'm going to do that yet or not, uh, to think of the electricity retailer as somewhere that can provide the car and the charging and the mobility needs. So, uh, so, so I, I'm going to say, John, that uh, I'd be very surprised if I met met anyone uh, at, at a, an electricity retailer who, from a strategic perspective, says what we really need to do is get into retailing cars. I think the reason they're doing this is because uh, they want to get into uh, e-mobility and the biggest barrier, that, or one of the biggest barriers that they're facing is getting access to the customer at point of sale. Uh, and again, we've seen from the research that we've done that 45% of, of EV buyers buy their uh, wall box, their charging solution, either from their dealer or on recommendation from their dealer. So, uh, and actually second to that is uh, e-mobility specialists. And only third in line is your electricity retailers. So basically, uh, if you're buying an electric vehicle, um, the, the electricity retailers are third in line for the queue for an opportunity for sale. And the way to, di to potentially disjoint that, well, I, I think I think there are three ways uh, to to disjoint that. And, and the first one, as you've suggested, is to is for utilities to start offering vehicles themselves, mm -hmm. um, typically through leasing or through uh, maybe a, maybe a little bit out there, but through a car club. Um, so we were talking recently about uh, Dewey Car, which was an offer from Alpic. Uh, in Switzerland, uh, yep. where you could lease your electric vehicle and get your wall box and electricity all paid for in a monthly sum. So that's great. That's how Alpic can cut out this problem of not being in the dealership and go straight to market. Unfortunately, uh, that that um, proposition has been closed down um, because the timing wasn't right and the demand wasn't there. Um, you've, you've referenced um, the UK, so we've got Octopus uh, EV leasing in the UK who are doing similar. Um, I haven't seen the results of that. Um, and then a slightly different approach is Energy, uh, who have uh, opened up a car club called Energy Go in Poland. Uh, so again, it's, it's a, a way of disrupting that value chain. Uh, I think for me, it's the timing is definitely not right. Will it ever be right? I'm not sure. I think it's much more um, practical for the electricity retailers to either for, form partnerships with the OEMs or the other strategy that has been particularly successful, I would say, is to purchase uh, charge point manufacturers uh, and installers who actually um, already have uh, relationships with the OEMs and therefore they're buying their way into that market. Okay, so I guess a summary of your main point there is that electricity retailers may move into the value chain, but it's primarily to get in the channel for their core product, which is electricity sales. Um, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, uh, 
some may have more ambitions from that and some are really interesting examples and time will tell whether that's something customers uh, respond to. Yeah, okay. Um, Alex, you're the odd one out in that you're looking at it from a big oil perspective, but you haven't worked for that type of company before, but you know them well and talk and work with them closely. So if we look at um, big oil, then they have been and will continue, as you said, to sell petrol and diesel from their forecourts. Um, ways for them to get in the value chain for electric cars and electricity and charge for those cars what what are you seeing at the moment yeah so well firstly i think that's a really interesting point in that in that value chain for e-mobility they're, they're the ones who are being excluded right uh, there's no yeah. need for petrol and diesel so how do we gather pace towards entering into ev charging and i actually think these are the most exciting players because they've been very busy building up strategies for the last few years and lots of announcements around acquiring charge point companies that have been really successful uh, across across europe building in with their um, their other brands uh, and building up their forecourt capacity for fast charging um, means that they they've got quite a an, an interesting opportunity to capture an awful lot of the EV charging customer going forward, both in, in public through those fast charging networks, mm -hmm. as well as actually in the home and look at Total with Direct Energy in, in France and uh, Shell with Shell Energy in the UK as examples. So they bought their way into the electricity retail business, they've bought their way into the uh, charge point or public charging business, they have their forecourts, uh, which could be strategic assets. Um, and I guess a lot of that is driven by fear. The, the two big motivations are always fear and opportunity. Fear is often stronger than opportunity. Um, <laughs> in that they, they are under threat long term uh, if electrification of transport really takes off. Yeah, um, they have to transition and they're, they're launching all of them, their, their, their strategies this year, um, there, is a, there is a potential large prize there. And here I would steer towards something that all players are, are active in. Um, uh, but the, again, DC fast charging, these really high powered charge points, that is the most similar in, uh, in the customer experience to say petrol refueling today. So if they make a greater move and a greater investment to install lots of mm. banks of charging hubs across the road networks of Europe, I feel that that could actually be the most lucrative in terms of um, getting profitable utilization of your public charging assets in, say, 10 years time. And we know that automotive players are there. Uh, we see the Ionity network. We know that other utilities and energy suppliers like Kate was mentioning are, are active there too. But the, uh, the the oil majors might already have the locations. So they might be one step ahead if they can capitalize on that. That's interesting. So if we just look at public charging for a minute, uh, then as you've said, we see oil companies, energy retailers, car manufacturers, all investing in public charging, particularly high-powered public charging. Um, this is a new area, it's a new space. Um, 
question to all three of you, are we going to see a single one of those, a single winner here or of the three types of companies, which one's going to dominate or is it very much like the Wild West at the moment and it's too early to say and the battle will be fought out over the next years? What do people think? I'll, I'll jump in first. Um, I, As of today, uh, I think the oil majors uh, have the advantage uh, because uh, of the three, they are the they are the ones who are already hosts. They have the locations. Um, they're used to retailing fuel. Uh, they have the convenience stores. They have the the correct locations. Uh, all the other retail partnerships that will enable them to generate additional income. Uh, and um, I don't I don't, I, I don't want to put words into Abhishek's mouth, but I think. Um, OEMs are uh, in this space. I, I, I won't, and when I say OEMs, really, I, I'm talking about Ionity, not Tesla. Um, but that consortium. But for those of listeners that don't know Ionity, that's a consortium of car manufacturers, European car manufacturers, exactly, or mainly European. Exactly. Not uh, and, and it's yeah. high powered, high powered chargers, uh, real premium uh, charging experience, uh, and they're building across the whole of Europe. Um, they're, they're doing that um, not, I would say not because they have a desire to sell kilowatts, but because they have a desire to sell premium cars and a premium charging experience to go with it. Abhishek, Kate said you didn't want to put words in your mouth, but would you, would you agree with those sentiments? Uh, I would actually. Um, I, I fully think the Ionity network is there to enable uh, customers of those OEMs to um, charge more conveniently and convenience okay, is what's so, going to actually sell sell cars so oems doing it to support their car sales and their customer experience yeah uh, oil majors doing it because they're very much is part of their core business today and they can leverage that utility stroke electricity retailers uh views from anyone in terms of their activity in this space well, there's no shortage of uh, electricity retailers and utilities across Europe who have who have all expressed a desire to become involved in public charging, uh, mm. and have put some really ambitious targets out there uh, in in terms of tens of thousands of, of charge points, which of course is good news because we need that that volume of charge points and we need that volume of investment if if we're going to satisfy what the EV driver needs. Um, it's actually very early days. None of those networks are profitable at the moment uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, so this is very much a speculative play, very much a land grab. The My question mark uh, comes from uh, Fulton, uh, which is probably one of the earliest and most mature public charging net networks in Scandinavia. And they divested their public charging interest uh, to InfraCapital. Uh, and it's now rebanded, recharged. So they've exited that market. Uh, and so my question is, will there be more exits as um, the going gets tough? Mm, yeah. And can I can I just come in on that? Because that, that is an interesting point there around public charging networks. And with that, with that one, correct me if I'm wrong there, Kate, but this was around the more the slow speed charging, the, the AC networks. Mm, um, yeah. So uh, we're we're increasingly seeing this divergence between the the local um, 
networks where you might be parked for many hours at a time compared to the really fast uh, forecourt style approach and i for me my my money's on these on these large high powered charging hubs um we saw one launched only last week but which was a combination between tesla who who most of us will know um but also fastned this uh, uh, public startup from the Netherlands that is has an ambition of installing a thousand charging stations across Europe, and yeah, currently they're not being owned by uh, by anyone who's a, an oil major or a utility, but they are you know they're, they're starting from scratch and building a, a pretty strong name for themselves in that space. So maybe there'll be some standalone players too. Okay, so really that public charging and uh, the difference between the slower AC and the fast DC, really interesting battleground. Um, if we come back to the home charging, which Kate, you pointed out, that's where the majority of charging will take place. So I'm going to summarize the discussion so far as uh, electricity retailers will add on some services to their commodity um, around that. Automotive, some will really become energy companies or try and become energy companies. Others will partner to offer customer convenience and an all-in-one service at the point of sale of the car. Question mark over whether energy retailers can do more than the energy-related part of it. Um, and from Big Oil, Alex, some of them are already energy retailers uh, buying some really interesting companies. Um, and really try to grab a big chunk of that value chain themselves. Um, so if we think about those, uh, are they pieces of jigsaw puzzle slotting neatly together or are they um, circles taking chunks out of each other? To me, it seems like the biggest winners here could be the oil majors, although you could argue they're just not losing as much from their oil sales. Uh, possibly the OEMs who could become energy companies themselves, probably not so much the energy retailers unless they can really benefit from the electricity value chain and the services around that. Um, so I'm sure I that all three of you won't agree fully with my summary or have particular angles to play on it. And ultimately, I guess it's a customer that will decide who is who they want to buy these services from. So what do what do you think about customers and how the what what role customers will have in deciding who are the winners here? What will customers want? Okay, I will jump in there um, because this is something we're, we're actually looking at right now and always seem to be uh, coming back to this question in, in the service. Starting in, from public charging, I think there's a, a lot of disruption is going to happen around how customers access and use charge points. And I think if you jump towards 10 years time, we can envisage a world where charging is just so seamless and so simplistic and we don't have all these teething problems which talk to any EV driver and they'll um, talk to you about lots of different networks and how uh, how they've had various challenges. Mm. And for me, that comes down to this plug and charge technology um, that you can see in 
lots of um, Tesla cars using that for uh, the Tesla supercharger network. I think maybe not five years time, but 10 years time, that's what customers are going to want because they'll see it, they'll see that the technology is, is work so well and that makes charging really nice and easy. To make that, so is that work- with it all built into the car then, Alex? Is that becoming a seamless experience for a driver on the dashboard, the screen in the car, it just says where you're going, it directs you to the charging point, it reserves it for you, it pays it for you. Um, Com completely, so it, it agrees the um, authorization between charge point and the car, but I believe it can go beyond that and provide all the services of locating the charge point for you, um, sorting out all the all the billing. And that, that level of uh, interoperability of all these different parts of the value chain really needs a lot of partnerships. And for me, of course, we need to have the car companies on board for that because it's their products which are going to need to have the uh, the right technology installed on but beyond that i look to who's making the biggest partnerships across the ev charging value chain and for me that that again comes comes back to the um the oil majors who have been taking off lots of different parts of that bring it all together give them a few years to develop their products internally and i think they might have a really nice um solution for a customer in each in each country okay so OEMs well placed, but oil majors also piecing together that to provide a really seamless solution for the customers. Abhishek, from your ex your experience, um, OEMs are they in pole position because they will provide they're the best place to provide that seamless experience for the customer? I mean, uh, uh, I'll I'll second what Alex said about partnerships for OEMs to actually enable that because um, it's quite a complex beast beyond building and making the car or designing and making the car um, so partnerships for some of these services is going to be absolutely uh, required but i think they're in pole position from the perspective of the customers already know them and the customers have an attachment to them and the customers well the, they, they own the customer relationship right now with the ev customer um, for the most expensive part of the ev value chain which is the car so they're in the best position to then be able to expand on that. Um, they'll probably do it with partnership because uh, a vehicle OEM is not going to be an energy markets expert um, overnight, but with the right partnership. And we're seeing the first few signs of that coming through. Um, I think they'll be in a really good position to harness the, their customers mm. uh, to, to make that step. And what about whether, for Abhishek, you or, or for Kate, what about whether they will go so far as saying, well, you bought your car from us, we've put your charger in, we can see how you're charging. Actually, would you like to buy a PV panel from us? Would you like to, if we install a stationary battery, we can reduce your costs of charging even further and reduce your home energy costs. Um, is that the realm, will that remain the realm of uh, the electricity sector or could the oil or OEM sector eat into that as well? I think the OEMs, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Kate. No, no, you go. Okay. Um, I think the OEM sector is already making its first few moves for that. So we're seeing things like the Tesla Powerwall and the uh, Nissan X storage. Uh, we've seen attempts made by um, Daimler and BMW as well for stationary storage. Um, so it's not 
inconceivable that more OEMs will get to the same point where they will start offering these additional services uh, to customers. Okay, Kate, what, how about you? Uh, so, so my thinking was slightly different in, uh, in that um, the the OEMs are have invested quite a lot in the digital play, and I think a lot uh, that the whole um, the whole plug and charge, uh, and potentially in the future having that mobility package built into the vehicle, and potentially having the MPAN in the car is really a digital play. It's much less about the built environment. So they won't need, the OEMs won't need to install the charge point, whichever charge point it's plugging into, um, the car will will take control over uh, over the uh, the tariff and the provision of the electricity. So for, for me, the, the, what makes sense is for it to be a digital play. And actually, when you start getting into that built environment, and the nitty gritty of installing hardware, be it a charge point or PV mm. into someone's house. Um, that's uh, really quite- It's a very different game. Yeah. It's quite it's treacherous different. territory uh, and one that the utility, uh, the, the uh, electricity retailers and the utilities have taken a lot of pain in already mm. and do have a head start. Yeah, so if they're in, if they had the pain of installing smart meters in people's houses, that's an experience they can then build on. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, I think it's time to bring out the Talking New Energy crystal ball, and we'll set the dial to 2025. So not not too far away. Um, and my question to each of you: Let's put it into two parts. Where will the biggest collision? in the different areas we've talked around, so public, home, uh, the home ecosystem, PV and battery, etc. Where will the biggest collision be? And of the different types of companies we've talked about, who do you think is going to be the biggest winner here? So a little bit simplistic, but let's, uh, let's see what you come up with for 2025. Um, Alex, let's uh, start with you. Okay. For me, the biggest collision is actually in the access of public charging networks. Mm -hmm. And that currently is fought between lots of different apps. And I see that evolving quite quickly. And because of the opportunity for entry into that space and the amount of interest in having that customer relationship, we're going to see an increase in the number of players entering over the next few years. And I would point to news from today of Lexus charging being the latest app to launch focused for Lexus uh, owning customers uh, with um, over 85,000 charge points available. Who's going to be the winner? I think it's whoever can win in the digital space. Ultimately, if honestly, I would say if Google has the capacity or interest to champion it, I cannot see anybody beating Google to that top spot. Okay, uh, really interesting angle, Alex. Thanks. Um, Abhishek, let's go to you and then to Kate. So biggest area of collision and uh, who's most likely to win? 
Well, I think the biggest area of collision will be um, between the the OEMs and charging infrastructure providers, whether that's public or domestic, because there's an obvious need for each other to to survive for either of the two groups. And um, going back to what you said earlier about is it a jigsaw or a Venn? I think it's a bit of both at the moment. Uh, some cases it's a jigsaw partnership. Some cases it's a Venn where there's co competition. Uh, but I think that's going to be where the biggest collision will be. Um, and the biggest winner from that will be the one who can provide the easiest um, experience for the customer. Um, because charging is not going to be a pleasurable activity for a customer, just like filling fuel in your car is not pleasurable. If you could yeah. have your car magically filled up all the time, that'd be great. Um, so whoever can sort out that customer experience aspect of can you make it as fast as convenient and as economically um, viable um, i think that's going to be the biggest whoever can sort that out is going to be the biggest winner i'm not asking for much here obviously <laughs> <laughs> to make it a pleasurable seamless simple enjoyable fun experience charging your car yeah. um, and, and and inexpensive and cheap yep um thanks have a check and Kate, how about you? I hate being asked these questions, John. It's uh, it's very mean. Um, so I think, uh, as, as, as I've already alluded to, I think the um, the the twenty 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 five is actually when the the expectation is that ISO fifteen one one eight which is the standard that underpins this uh, seamless plug and charge technology will be uh, introduced to market. So when you said 2025, I gave a little bit of a smile because uh, I really feel that that is going to be uh, the, the biggest collision in the future. And um, I would add into that, that my expectation is by 2025, the uh, EVs are going to be business as usual for the OEMs. So they get, they'll have got their R&D done, they'll have got their factories yeah. in place, they'll have got supply all their materials, their supply yeah. chain, yeah. and then they'll be really focusing on starting to squeeze the extra value. So, mm. um, and I, so I think that's going to really cause quite a lot of ripples. Uh, however, uh, I, I've been arguing for the elect retailers, or I, I hope I have, so in terms of the winners, um, uh, I would like to say it'll be the elect retailers. Uh, I think they have to um, really collaborate much more closely than they have done up until now with the OEMs uh, and embrace that threat and turn it into an opportunity, uh, which they can do. Uh, and uh, my, my final plea is um, we've really got to get the VGI and the, the smart charging, uh, the mining of that value coming from the elect retailers sooner rather than later. Please don't wait for another sector to do this. You've got to get there first. Okay. Well, a wake-up call would be too strong, Kate. I think we'll stick, stick with your plea, but uh, get your skates on. Yeah. Um, well, thanks very much, uh, Alex, Abhishek and Kate, a discussion that um, I'm sure we'll continue to have internally at Delta EE or a debate that we'll continue to have. Um, I'm sure some of you listening will have your own views and opinions and hope you all found the, the debate 
useful and interesting and it will continue to be a big focus of ours this collision jigsaw or venn diagram coming together between uh, these different industries so thanks very much uh, for listening we hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to welcoming you back next week goodbye if you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.